You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. It is one of the most threatened large carnivores in the world. Mm -hmm. In the world. Mm -hmm. And the dole is pretty elusive, very timid of humans, and hard to study in the wild. What can they teach us? Another thing they're doing with poaching is they're scanning the internet like ChatGPT, and they're looking for keywords in wildlife trafficking. And they're starting to find these poaching networks and starting to take them. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to Our Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. And what was that? The, the dole, right? Yes. Or the whistling dog or the Asiatic dog, the red dog. But with our opening, I think we might have to call it the whistling dog. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah, that eerie, beautiful sound is one of the ways that they communicate with each other. And they have several different vocalizations. That was just one. Oh, it's been a fun week doing a lot of research on these animals. We wanted to follow up after doing a cat because we just did the Polis's cat. And now we followed up with an Asiatic dog that you've been dying to do. The yes. Dull. Just so our listeners know, I've been asking Chris to do the dole for a couple of years now, for sure. But I think that all good things come with time, and this podcast is going to be awesome today. It's definitely a tribute to the dole, this beautiful canid that looks like a German shepherd mixed with the fox, but it's not related to foxes. It's definitely in the canid family, is one of the most threatened large carnivores in the world, mm -hmm, in the world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the dole is pretty elusive, very timid of humans, and hard to study in the wild. And unfortunately, there's less than 2,500 adults in the wild, or at least that was the last estimation in uh, 2008. So they're in desperate need of our conservation. And Chris and I are here to put the dole in your vocabulary today. If you're not familiar with it, by the end of this podcast, you are going to love this canid. It is just the behaviors. I, I had so much fun dorking out 
actually the last two weeks, uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) reading all these scientific papers about them because there are a lot of people, a lot of good groups. We'll talk about the Wildlife Conservation Society and several groups in India and uh, throughout uh, Southeastern Asia that are working hard and fighting hard to make sure that the dole doesn't become extinct. But in the same instance, there aren't a lot of doles under human care in zoos because they don't breed very well. Uh, And it's just very important that we learn more about them in the wild and save their habitat in order to save this, this beautiful dog. Yeah. I mean, I was surprised and and you'll, you'll read about it that they're more endangered than tigers. Right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I, 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 I knew that they were, they weren't doing well. I just didn't know. I didn't know that it was that bad. And I didn't know that still learning a lot about their ecology because they are so elusive and hard to study. So, yeah, yeah uh, but but lots of fun facts today in the podcast and a lot a million reasons to fall in love with the dole. Uh, so, yeah, definitely stick around. Oh, and it, it's like we think of a canid, you're like, oh, they're like wolves. I mean, it, they are, but they're so different and they're so specialized. And whistling, not howling. So there is a lot to learn about this canid that I did not know a lot about until you started, you know, bringing them up, and then now doing the research. I mean, absolutely in love with them. Amazing. Right. Species. Well, in in uh, in North America, there's only a few zoos that house them. I've never seen one up close and personal. The Bronx Zoo, I believe, has them. I actually watched a whole amazing video by Animal Planet about a pair of three brothers that were translocated from. Uh, the San Diego Zoo, so they're they're in your old stomping ground. So mm-hmm, when you're mm-hmm. when you're home next time, yeah, you'll have yep. to go see them. But anyways, they mo- they uh, moved them from San Diego to the Bronx Zoo, and they did this whole like short documentary about how zoos are learning more about them and how they're just such a shy and not trusting uh, mm-hmm. species when it comes to interacting with humans. That it. it can be very hard to gain their trust in order for shipping them. And anyways, that was really well done by Animal Planet. And it just got you up a close and personal talking to the people that are on the ground working with these dogs every day and they know their personalities and they're also trying to conserve them and making sure that they're healthy and happy and just talking about how to help save them and about how we should all fall in love with the dole and want to conserve them. Yeah, yeah, no, they're they're, they're amazing. And just before we get started, I just got to give a shout out to Rob and Philip for joining us on Patreon. Thank you. We just did another live. Had fun talking to our friend Nick up in Minnesota, showing us all the snow up there. So, hey, Nick, thanks for uh, chatting with us. And then we we went and did a little Facebook live uh, with some folks and saw all of our good friends, uh, Jordan and Jim and Autumn, all the people we've had on this podcast, jumping in, saying hi, checking in, doing great things for conservation. So, Again, check us out, you know, a cup of coffee a month. It supports us, helps us in our mission, helps us produce this podcast, pay for the website, the hosting, and getting the stuff edited and out to you as fast as we can. Uh, and just let you know, we've got some great interviews on the way, uh, some big ones uh, planned coming up the next couple months. So stay tuned for that. And I'd like to give a big shout out to Scarlet Minded, who wrote a stunning five-star review on iTunes for us. And mentioned, of course, the Palaces cat, mm-hmm. uh, talking about how they volunteer at a local zoo that has the Palaces cat. And the lovable curmudgeons is an animal after their own heart. So <laughs> I really appreciated that. And if you haven't already, we'd love for 
anybody listen to this podcast to give us a five-star review on iTunes or yeah, give us a give us a shout out. Send us an email, join us on our Facebook All Creatures group. You can request species or let us know your thoughts about the podcast. Well, describing the dole, I mean, it is a canid, so mm-hmm. it's very similar characteristics. Uh, just so people have a visual, border collie size. Okay. Mm-hmm. So medium-sized dog, uh, you know, uh, sizes, uh, I, I guess I'll give it three feet long, uh, tails up to 18 inches long, 45 centimeters, shoulder height, uh, not quite two feet tall or 50 centimeters. Uh, males a little bit heavier than females, up to 45 pounds, 20 kilograms. Or females can get up to almost 30 pounds or 14 kilograms. Yeah, they're a beautiful canid. Uh, not super huge, like Chris mentioned. And so some of it, when you first look at them, you almost think foxed. But that's, mm-hmm. I think, mostly because of the color and the tail. Because the adult doll is going to have a rusty orange-brown colored coat with a pale underside, usually white on the chest and belly area. area. There are subspecies, so it does depend on which subspecies you're talking about as far as some of them are solid orange throughout most of their body and others have this uh, really pretty white patches on their underside. And with some doles, this white can actually also be on their feet. So beautiful markings on a lot of these dogs, uh, but their tail is also just... Mm-hmm. Uh, just wonderful. It's, it's fluffy, bushy. It's darker in color, so it does contrast the the orange, rusty brown color. It's almost brown black in color. Once again, depending on the subspecies, but very pompous or puffy. I, I I read many different ways it was described, but that fluffier bushiness of the tail is is does remind me a little bit of a fox, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But what's really unique with the dole is their muzzle. And in fact, it kind of sets them apart from other canids and that it's it's pretty thick and not pointy like you would think of a fox muzzle. Uh, it's definitely thicker and a little bit shorter. And the ears of the dole are just gorgeous. They, they're big and they're rounded. Not as big as African painted dogs because those ears could win awards for their, <laughs> their mm-hmm, size mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. how awesome and round they are. But the dole does have a uh, a triangle shaped ear with a nice rounded tip that I think also really sets them apart too with a lot of like white, often white or light brown fur sticking out. Black nose, amber colored eyes, just beautiful. I mean, they're really just a beautiful, beautiful dog. And all the photos I look through, once again, because of the different subspecies and the time of year, depending on what region they live in, their coats are very unique looking. And I don't think my description is doing them justice, but they're, they're beautiful. Yeah, they are. They are. They are. They are. They just really are. And again, I was so surprised that this, this wild canid is the predominant one in, in the Southern parts of Asia. I mean, obviously in the Northern parts, you do have wolves there, gray wolves, and and Mm -hmm. we've covered them before, but looking in the Southern portion, I mean, this is one of the top carnivores in Southern Asia, you know, you do have the tigers, you do have leopards, but now you also have a canid. The top canid is the dole. Looking at their historical range, it was massive. I mean, north of Mongolia, into Siberia, all through the Korean Peninsula, all throughout China, most of India, 
and then going all the way down into Indonesia and all the islands of Java. Today, they have lost much of their territory. So that has been a major driver in them towards extinction, right? So now you're looking at pockets in India, pockets in Nepal, Bhutan, Malaysia, and that part. And then you do get some of them down in Java and Sumatra. So, and a little bit parts of China too. But again, very, very fragmented. I mean, they've lost 75% of their historical range and that's straight from IUCN. Absolutely, Chris. And I don't know how many countries they historically were found in mm-hmm. uh, South and Southeast Eastern Asia, but currently it's only 11. Mm-hmm. And that's including all the subspecies. And like you said, over this vast, vast area. So yeah. lots of yeah. Fra- fragmentation. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a hot spot. I mean, I remember going back, we, t- we covered Indian elephants and it's like they're suffering so big because they need large ranges and they've lost a lot of their habitat. So again, this is, you know, we do go to South America and lots of deforestation there. And this is something that lives in, in, in all sorts of different habitats, dense forests up in the Alpine regions, you know, the steppes of, again, Mongolia, southern parts of Siberia, scrublands. So they they live in all sorts of different habitat, but again, because of human encroachment and persecution and all of these things, it's just greatly reduced. It's really sad. Yeah, they do love to live by riverbeds. So we'll talk a little bit about that in behavior as well. But they're typically, they usually like to find a river to be by as well, which oftentimes there's human settlements by rivers. So yes, they're definitely struggling in lots of lots of their habitat. Yeah, and and I mean this is this hyper carnivore keystone species uh, to to all of these ecosystems. You know, it's so sad they're down to such few numbers because they are checks to a lot of of herbivores and other prey type species that compete. When again, you know, just going back to some some studies. You know, the wolves in Yellowstone, when you remove the carnivores and herbivores take over, it drastically reduces a habitat for multiple other species, changes the, the way rivers flow. It just it has such a cascading effect up and down the food web that it, 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 it you have to care. You, when we talk about these massive, big carnivores, like a dole, even though it's border collie size, it still has a massive impact on its ecosystem. So that's why I care. You know, it's such an important piece of the puzzle. Absolutely. And I mean, the good news is a lot of people care. And so there is a lot being done to try to help them. In India, the dole is protected under the Wildlife Protection Act. As in Cambodia, there's no hunting of them anymore. In Vietnam, uh, there's putting checks and balances in there as well. So there's definitely a lot of people that are sounding the alarm bell for all those reasons Chris mentioned. When you have this apex carnivore in your landscape, and your ecosystem, they are extremely important for everything else that trickles down. All right. Now, with all that being said, Angie, I, I you know, we, we, we've talked a lot about Asia. And again, we're, we're going to go back, you know, we'll cover some some things that are going on, in, you know, not just Nepal, because we cover a lot of the great stuff going on there. Some great stuff starting to come out of India. I know there's a couple species that they're reintroducing that you want to cover. Uh, so this week, I felt like I just wanted to kind of give a, a quick feel-good story, 
so we can get to the behavior. I know that's a big part of, of this species. So one of the things that's been in the news a lot, especially in education, is have you been hearing about it? Chat GPT, the AI writing bot, artificial uh, intelligence. Have I heard about it? I have my own account and I actually used it to help me create some exam questions the other day. I figured if the students were going to use it to help write essays, I, as a professor, would use it to help write the exam. So, (laughs) yeah, uh, don't hate the player, hate the game, right? Yeah, 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 I've been hearing a lot about it. I've Mm -hmm. I've played around with a little bit. Of course, I teach really specific, specific niche things. And so when I would ask the software certain questions, it gave really generic answers. And but yes, I'm, I'm on a lot of academic different Facebook groups and stuff like that. And, and it's split down the middle of like, that this is the worst thing ever, that the students are going to use it to write exams. And then the other half is like, no, let's teach the students to use it mm-hmm. as a first draft or it's here, mm-hmm. it's, it's mm-hmm. here, it's not going anywhere. We should teach them how to use it properly, how to source it properly, how to reference it properly. I don't teach any writing classes myself. Mine are all hard science. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not, I'm not too concerned with that but uh we i talk a lot about scientific references and yep. in my course the you know, difference between a sign between a blog or a uh, scientific website popular press website mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then of course the actual sco- scholarly peer-reviewed article and how to find those and how to read those so yeah but it's i think it's i think it's pretty exciting for the potential uh, and i'm a big believer in my own career and just life in general evolving with the times right yeah okay 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 so and and me too like i'm hearing it uh here in my academic circles in in aurora new zealand where chat gpt everybody's sweating and i'm like well you know what i like to teach my students how to critically think not just to regurgitate facts and yeah because you can just look anything up on the phone now it's exactly exactly it's different than my i always back in the day when i had to go to the library and have a textbook Uh i I didn't have a cell phone in undergrad i didn't have i didn't oh i'm gonna really date myself i didn't even have a computer in undergrad thank god i did for graduate school that's why i waited i waited to go back to graduate school for a long time till stuff was more modernized but yeah, so it's different times and different think- times and different. You take different teaching methods, right? So, anyways, Correct. AI's artificial intelligence is taking over, and ChatGPT. If, if if anybody's in there in college, you can look into it. It, it could help you. Uh, I've looked at some things. Well, now, I mean, like- I think anybody working anywhere, if yes, it will yeah. cut down. If you need to come up with student learning outcomes, or if you need to come up with, uh, I have to write a cover letter for a yep. job i mean yep. you have to it, you have to know that's just a very rough rough draft yeah. but okay. that can sometimes help speed up your process and make you more efficient especially if you have writer's block and things like that all right so that can directly influence the listeners and and it, it's i think the whole point of this discussion and and going off on tangents a little bit is to show you how artificial intelligence is taking all the information on the web and spitting out the consensus, right? So mm-hmm. there's programs out there that's able to do that. Now, let's apply this to conservation, not chat GPT specifically, but artificial intelligence. So we are now getting to the frontier where artificial intelligence is helping us save these species. So I'm going to give some examples that's been in the news, and, and I felt like it was a feel-good story to tell. 
one in poaching. So in parts of Africa, they are using AI to analyze because, you know, a lot of these game parks have cameras and they can plug in doing some of the detective work, how these poachers are, are infiltrating the parks when they kill these animals like poaching a rhino, you know, how long they're there, where do they go, you know, where do they come in, where do they leave, all of those things. They're plugging it in and the AI is able to start to develop patterns and analyze patterns. So now the rangers know, okay, they're doing this, so here's how we're going to combat that. That's one way. Other thing they're doing with poaching is they're scanning the internet like ChatGPT and they're looking for keywords in wildlife tra trafficking and they're starting to find these poaching networks and starting to take them down. So, and, and they're using, you know, with a bunch of other technologies, like I said, cameras, night vision ability, drones, all of that is now being used with artificial intelligence. So, and this is cutting edge. Like this stuff is, is coming online now. I remember hearing about it a few years ago. Uh, some of the research studies that some of my friends were doing, looking at behavior and animals using AI. Now we're using it to help conservation. It's, it's, it's phenomenal stuff. One thing AI has done just in general is been able to track water loss in South America. It, if it wasn't for AI, we wouldn't have known this was, was coming or this was going on. So now we know Brazil's lost more than 15% of its surface water. And we we're only able to detect that using uh, maps produced by NASA and satellites. And they're able to, over the last 40 years, look, and AI has been able to, to look at over 150,000 images and analyze it. And now we're able to see how they are losing water and where. So now they can go in and say, okay, in parts of South America or around the world, you know, what's going on with climate change? Okay, you're losing water here. And how is that going to affect, you know, your, your, your people? Uh, in the long term. So AI is able to do that. One, I, I, another project that really excites me is NOAA, who's the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association in the United States, is using AI to help with whales. And what they're doing is they have acoustic recorders all along the Pacific Ocean, and they're recording. They have over 190,000 hours of acoustic recordings that's been taken over nearly 15 years. Now, 190,000 hours, if imagine me and you, if our job was to listen to 190,000 hours of acoustic recordings in the ocean and then trying to track down individual whales or species of whales or different, you know, all of these different sounds. It's, well, with, It's crazy. So what Noah's done a few years ago is they partnered with Google and Google has an AI for social goods uh, bioacoustic team. And they picked up a model and they're using it to recognize humpback whale song. And what they're doing is they're tracking humpback whales and they're seeing where, they're, where they are and able to shift some of their conservation efforts through there. So like one of the, the, the things that came out of the study is this, this reef, Kingman's Reef. They never knew the humpback whales were ever there, but now they know because of the AI and they're able to triangulate and find that these whales were actually there. So that's one thing that's going yeah, on. Yeah, that. that's yeah. awesome. 
Yeah. The reason I dorked out on this a little bit is I know I this isn't a bird episode, but I do talk about Merlin Bird ID and the eBird app. And I was just using it this weekend. But Merlin Bird ID now has an acoustic listening part where you press sound, you press record and hold it, and it can analyze all the birds chirping around you and tell you which species yes, they are. Please. Yes, please. I love it. Merlin Bird ID. Get it. Use it. Go outside. Open up Merlin Bird ID. Look at the sound. Open it up. Press record and it will tell you which birds are near you. So that type of stuff with with uh, Cornell and and uh, Microsoft, they're using machine learning to monitor elephants in Africa. That's great. And yeah, so now they're able to track elephants, identify different elephants, and and using all of these technologies to help to see where they're at and where they're going. So that's interesting. All right. AI in koalas. And I'm going to wrap this up soon, I promise. <laughs> it's just fun to go through all this stuff. So a researcher in Australia, after all the, the fires, and, and I've got a, a, a koala author coming on here pretty quick in a couple of weeks. It was an amazing book, and we had an amazing interview and talking about the bushfires and, and how koalas are doing. So look for that. So I found this interesting. Is they're using drones and infrared imaging and taking video plugging that into AI and AI is able to identify the the signature of the animal as a koala or something else. Really? Because they up in the trees, the koalas have a certain uh, thermal imaging signature that the computer, the artificial intelligence is able to detect and say, yes, that's a koala. So now they're going around tracking and recording and trying to get koala counts throughout Australia. And one of the places he's really keen right now is koala, is Kangaroo Island. Remember that was the one that were like, oh God, they had like 50,000 koalas on there and like most of them died in the fires and it yeah. was really horrific. So yeah, so they're using AI there. And the other one was just, it, it brought me back to Sonarto, Asia, climbing or climbing, hiking, what, 15 days into the deepest, densest jungle yeah, about, java yeah about 14 days in yeah they put up their camera traps and then they leave and then 14 after, days out yeah and then they come back a much later and take that all that film now instead of a human being going next picture next picture next picture they can feed it through an ai program and the ai program can recognize species and spit out the counts of what the camera traps caught and now they're using this throughout Africa and around the world. They can identify individual animals based on markings, scarring, coat color, coat patterns. If, if it's available in that species, they're using it to classify different animals to get a better count of, you know, it's not the same lion or same lion, same tiger walking in front, back and forth. In his trap, the AI will say, okay, well, that's male number one. Here's male number three. You know, that's the female 15. And they're able to to do that. So feel good about what's going on out there. I know we're still in a war and a fight to save all these species. But 
these scientists, these researchers, and I'd maybe like to track one down this year that specializes in this stuff are using these emerging technologies. And because there's such a groundswell, people like you listening to this program, pushing for this, companies like Google, Microsoft, some of these bigger companies are saying, yeah, I want to get involved in conservation and giving not only money, but time and effort and development of these programs. So thank you to them. And and oh, it's just amazing stuff, Angie, when you really read into it. And that's just the surface. There's so much more going on out there. Uh, I hope we get to tell these stories in the coming years. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, Chris. Thank you so much. I, I definitely think AI is here to stay, and I'm definitely team. I think it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah Especially it. for the animals. And I can yeah. in the classroom, I can learn to work with it so uh, that it becomes, like you said, more of a critical thinking tool mm-hmm, mm-hmm. than, um, you know, than a way to cheat, basically. That's not cheating. It's like, okay, you know, go yeah, use like chat GPT or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, let's find different ways to measure knowledge than just spit me out an essay. Exactly. That's or, old. Re- well, or, or remember a fact and, and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, yeah, I was a big believer in looking at new ways uh, to teach and new ways to evaluate teaching. Absolutely. Teacher of the year I'm yeah. talking to. Yeah, back in the day. Back in the mm-hmm. day. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Still University teacher Florida. of the year, Chris. You're my teacher of the year. Yeah. I was doing some good stuff at Florida. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Brenna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore all of the weird little questions and conspiracies of the universe in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything. Everything has an explanation. We hope. But that is what we're here to figure out. We will dive into the science behind many popular conspiracy theories, such as vaccines causing autism, flat earth theory, and was the moon landing fake? And if so, why the heck would anyone even do that? But it's not just conspiracies. There's a lot of cool mysteries that we will attempt to use science to explain, such as near-death experiences, what made the Vikings go berserk, and can I control my co-host with MK Ultra? Wait, what? <laughs> anyway, make sure to check out the Mischief Everything podcast everywhere where you find your podcasts. All right. Uh, Dole Evolution, uh, you know, we've done plenty of, of canids and carnivores. We just did another carnivore a couple weeks ago. Carnivoria. Bush dog, if you haven't already checked it out. Yeah, that was the last one we did. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we talked to some bush dog researchers, which yep. was awesome as mm-hmm. well. So I, I don't know what episodes they are, but they're pretty recent. So that was with Dr. Karen DiMatteo and Alice Clark. Yeah, episode mm-hmm. 303. And then we covered bush dogs. I remember you were like, I want to reach out to them. And they did. That was so amazing. Episode 292 was bush dogs. So that was last August. East that long ago it seems like yesterday it does uh, yeah all right time flies when you're having fun I know. reading about bush dogs and doles <laughs> it's fun all these species okay so around 280 carnivores we still got a long way to go to cover most of them uh, mustelid we got to cover mustelid soon family is uh canidae so 34 species in the canidae family genus very unique kuon mm-hmm. and the species is kuon alpinus 
but there's seven subspecies recognized today. Some some say 10, most because of DNA and everything. Generally, there's about seven subspecies. And all over the place, like the Sumatran dole, the Burmese dole, the, the Fumosus in China dole, the Tia Shan dole, I probably butchered that, I apologize. All these subspecies throughout Asia around there. So, uh, you know, and you imagine they had such a massive territory. So it makes sense there would be certain subspecies evolving in different areas. Alpine specialists, the savanna specialists, you know, or the the forest Siberian, specialists. yeah, the forest specialists, the up on the Siberian plain. So they've they've all evolved in the last uh, you know few thousand years. These subspecies. Yeah, Chris and I was reading with the dole their their taxonomy misfits. Boy, that's a mouthful. For a couple different reasons, they don't really fit neatly into some of the other dog Mm-mm. subfamilies like wolves Mm-mm. and fox. And one of those reasons is that doles have only two molars on each side of their lower jaw instead of three, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that they have a relatively shorter jaw than our yeah than our our canine companions at home. And the other really fascinating one we'll talk more about in reproduction is that. Doles have more teats than any other canid species, and they can produce really large litters of up to twelve puppies. And they have some some of the subspecies have uh, have up to sixteen teats, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. much more uh, than the others. So yeah, they're like these misfits. And correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but it looks like their closest relative on the phylogenetic tree is the African wild dog. Yeah, or the Ethiopian wolf. Uh, jackals yeah so they're they're definitely on their own they Mm -hmm. split about two million years ago from the other canids so definitely i mean two million years ago though i just have to like think about we we just say these numbers i know i know think about that yeah long time ago i mean you know so they all the carnivores had a common ancestor after the, the last mass extinction and then like we talked about with the palaces cat split with philidae about 40 to 50 million years ago. And the first canid is emerging about 40 million years ago. And it, they, they found these, these fossils in Texas, you know. And, and, it, and foxes are not even in the Canidae family, right? As I was explaining the description of how the dole looked, and it does look somewhat like a fox, but has all these other different features. But they're not very closely related to foxes at all, right? No, it, it, it gets... So in taxonomy, it does get a little confusing. And I was actually just teaching this the other day to my students, uh, taxonomy and, and, and how you start with kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, subfamily, genus, species, and subspecies. So with the canids, you know, you have the family canidae, then you have a subfamily canidae. And this is where it gets a little And that's where confusing. we're at, right? That's where yeah. the dole is. Yeah, mm-hmm. the dole's more closely related to wolves than foxes. Okay. Gotcha. But, you know, but again, two million years ago, it split. So it's not right there. Like the African wild dog, again, is as closely related to wolves, even though they're, they're not wolves, right? So they're not Canis, which is the genus of wolves and domestic dogs and, and a whole bunch of others. Then you've got the South American canines. So this is where our bush dogs fell in a tribe called Cerdo Sanina, 
And then our foxes and vulpini, so the fox-like canids. So the vulpus is the red fox. I'm going to do a little trivia with you. Ooh. There's a canid so Uh-oh. obscure that mm. fits in that family. And vulpus? Well, in that family, in that tribe, the okay. tribe Volpini. Have we covered them on the podcast? Yes. And I was like, no way these things can exist. And they do. Raccoon dog. Yes, raccoon dog. <laughs> I've never been so proud of myself in my life. That's good. Good. Yeah. As late <laughs> as it is there. Raccoon dogs. Yeah. Yeah. They're actually yeah, they're real. Fun. That was a fun oh. pod. That was a fun one. I yeah. don't know what episode that was, but definitely uh, Google All Creatures Podcast yeah. Raccoon Dog. Yeah. That's the fastest go. way to find some of our back episodes. All right. All right. So, anyways, all right. Let's back up. Canids, amazing. 10 million years ago is about when they all just went crazy and split off. And then you get all these different, the different versions of canids. I'm uh, just like foxes. smiling ear to ear uh, right now. I just love, I just love this yeah. group. I, yeah. it's, it's because I love my dog, Rainbow. They're all, obviously they're wild and they're nothing mm. and you shouldn't keep them in your house. And we'll talk about that mm. towards the end of the podcast. Uh, and they're not domesticated whatsoever. Uh, mm. But yeah, they're just, a lot of the behaviors, their look, uh, mm. they're just beautiful. Gosh, there's so many of them. Now, how many to- now, how, many how many species did you say there? There's Of canids, 30... Uh, 34? Yeah, we yeah, must 34. cover them all because we haven't even done a jackal yet. No. I think no. we've only done one fox. So. Ethiopian yeah. wolf's the one you've been pushing for. Yes. Somebody. Some of our yes. friends yesterday told us to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was mm-hmm. Kennedy or somebody told us to do that. So there's some there's some good canids in there. Now, uh, again, uh, canids left North America about six to eight million years ago, went down to Africa, Eurasia. So the... Dole's ancient ancestor came over. And then again, they didn't get to South America until about 3 million years ago when the Panama uh, Isthmus connected between North and South America. So had an influence on a lot of species. The only thing I'll, I'll, I'll say in domestication on this one, because I really want to get to behavior, is again, takes about 50 generations uh, to domesticate an animal. Again, I was just talking about this today while I was teaching. 50 generations. So According to researchers, doles are near impossible to tame. They're very wild. It's just they they just don't, they, they have not lost any of that wildness about them. They are not pets. They should never be pets. They're not even close to wolves where some people have wolves, which is nuts as pets. Don't no do way. It. No way. Even half wolves. Mm-mm. No, nope. Dumb, dumb, dumb. Doles can't breed with dogs, by the way. They, they are different, definitely different genus. So they cannot hybrid hybridize, or we've not had any evidence of that, but there to answer that question. Okay. Zipping right along because we've got to get to behavior. Lifespan, typical of a canid, 10 to 16 years, obviously older under human care, but pretty quick. I mean, 45 miles per hour, 70 kilometers per hour. So they're quite fast and they... Interesting facts is they're very good swimmers. Yeah, that's why they'd love to be by the water. Yeah. Or by rivers. Like mm-hmm. bush dogs, right? Bush <laughs> dogs. Yeah. They don't have the web feet like yeah. bush dogs, but yeah, yes, okay. they, they are excellent swimmers. And they're impressive jumpers. Yeah. Uh, you think of the border <laughs> yeah. collie size, and maybe certain border collies can, yeah. but they can they could leap straight over your head in a single jump. A dole can easily clear seven feet or 2.1 meters, mm-hmm. just straight up in the air with no 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 running. 
That's involved. crazy. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Now, diet, 70% meat. So that's why they call them hyper carnivores. Uh, they eat buffalo, sheep, uh, frogs. I mean, what don't pigs, they eat, basically? Goats. I know, yeah. birds, mice, rats, sheep, <laughs> the bantank, the gower. Mm-hmm. How the heck do they take down a gower? Uh, we got to co- cover that one. Uh, they, Munchak. they, yeah, they can eat about eight, nine pounds of meat in an hour or four kilograms. And, um. So the other 30% of their diet, they they will eat some vegetable matter, maybe some fruit and vegetables, you know, maybe to fill if they're hungry, but generally they eat meat. That's what they do. And they're very good at it, right? Like hunting to lead you into behavior, finally getting there. Dogs, I love dogs. I love them. I love our wild dogs, but God, the way they hunt is Wow. It's, it's incredible, Chris. It's just, it's it's so, so, so impressive the way that the doles can cooperate together in order to hunt. And we mentioned well, they're, they're generalists, so they eat, they're not picky, but they can take down prey that's bigger than themselves, and, but they, they need each other to do this. And so they have to react really quick and really fast and communicate with one another and how they're going to do this, what we call coordinated effort Mm -hmm. uh, or uh, cooperative hunting in order to take down this prey. And it was one of the things when we covered African wild dogs, it just just gave me so much pause. And luckily, you were able to reach out to Dr. Greg Rasmussen, one of the best interviews. We've had so many good ones. but I know, I know. Our researcher that studied those dogs for 20 plus years and knows them inside out and, and backwards and I'm, I was actually very inspired these past two weeks. I'm working on trying to reach out to a dull expert that I can hopefully get on here to share with me not only the conservation efforts, but uh, some of this more intimate hunting behavior. And so there's a few examples of how they'll coordinate, for instance, when they are hunting prey together. So first of all, they'll chase down prey. So that's pretty obvious, but the doles are really fast runners and they can outrun a lot of the prey in their area. And for those prey that they can't outrun, they basically can out endurance. They have pretty good endurance to chase their prey over long distance and basically just wear them down. But they do this together, which makes it even more effective. Another type of way that they, another type of cooperative hunting that's seen in doles is called surrounding and attacking. So, Depending on the type of prey, once again, the, do- the doles will coordinate, coordinate together and surround their prey and basically ambushed attack from all sides. And if the dole is hunting larger prey, this is extremely e- effective. And the pack can communicate to each other, definitely through vocalizations, and I'll talk a lot about that, the different types of vocalizations they have. But then also, I think, just through body language to, to basically tell each other, hey, you take that side, I'll take this side. And mm-hmm. uh, they basically will coordinate their movements to surround the prey and block off any of the prey's escape routes. Just incredible. And a lot of times they're doing this at top speeds, right? Because a deer or a boar or hoofstock, you know, they're going to be trying to be running. And when they just circle around them, I mean, the poor prey doesn't stand a chance. And then another example of dual cooperative hunting is flushing prey out. So this is extremely intelligent in my opinion the doles will coordinate 
and split off into smaller groups when they're hunting, where some of the family members will be flushing the prey out from wherever it's hiding. Like if it's a deer hiding, you know, maybe it's a baby fawn or just some kind of hoofstock that's smart and trying to use your camouflage to stay safe, while other pack members of the duels are basically waiting to just wha-bam and ambush. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's just, I mean, incredible. And what I like what I don't understand and what I want to know more of is how do they coordinate which which type of uh, hunting style they are going to use? Are they going to chase it? They do they surround it? Do they flush it? Ambush it? Uh, uh, sometimes they push their fr- uh, prey into water, which we saw that with African wild dogs as well, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because they are such good swimmers. So how uh, how do they coordinate that among each other? Where oh hey let's this time let's chase it and then oh let's take a sharp turn and push it into the water or, or now let's surround it and attack it. So just it's just incredible. We all know how much I love hoofstock, hoofs, horns, and antlers. It's where it's at. But canid cooperative hunting in these wild dogs is just mind blowing, literally mind blowing to me. So yes, I watched a lot of videos. I tried to learn as much as I could, and I still have more papers to read. But Chris, the other really cool like nutrition behavior when it comes to doles is okay. They catch this prey using one of those coordinated tactics. Sometimes their prey will weigh 10 times more than their own body body weight. So they have this prey and the pack needs to come in and eat it. And what researchers have noticed is that when they are feeding on um, a fresh kill, that there's not a lot of aggression between Mm. pack members. And in fact, what I love reading about and what I want to teach my boys is the males have manners. So (laughs) we all do. The pups usually feed first. So that's pretty cool. And then after that, other pack members will take turns feeding, but not with a real clear cut pattern, except for that the dominant male of the pack will feed last. So he's very patient. He's a, a nice leader, right? I mean, that's kind of uh, rare. You, you, it's rare, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. A dominant male dole that has a lot of manners. So I thought that was pretty cool. I just love that image of them hunting. I just go back to planet Earth and that whole sequence they filmed with a drone or something of the, the African painted dogs do, doing that hunt. It's just, oh, it's so intelligent. It is. Well, and I think I had so much fun this week because... You're watching this footage, uh, this beautiful footage of these dole packs out in the wild. And when they're happy, they're wagging their tails. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The pups are rolling around, play fighting together, practicing their hunting and ambush skills. Mm. So it's just uh, it's very reminiscent of watching your own dog interact and play with uh, with an, you know, with a neighbor's dog. And and just they're just so beautiful and, and such big personalities. Well, there's so many fun behaviors to unpack, Angie. So one of the things I think is to continue on with that hunting, like they are very smart and strategic, but is it daytime, nighttime? You know, when, when are they active? What are they oh, doing? Oh, no. Great question, Chris. And so the doles uh, were historically considered to be diurnal, so hunt during the day. But there was a recent paper that observed them many hours through camera traps and photographs and videos that were collected. And what these researchers found is that the doles in the area that they were studying were more crepuscular, so more dusk and dawn Mm -hmm. activity. 
So I'm sure it can it can change a little bit depending on which subspecies and where they're observing the doles. And of course, uh, we've alluded to it, but it has to be mentioned that the dole is an extremely social canid carnivore. And so just like dogs and wolves, they live in a group called a pack. And within a pack, there's going to be a dominant monogamous pair that breeds. And all the other pack members are helpful in caring for the pups. And then, of course, hunt. And all the other subordinate members of the pack help care for the young that is the dominant pair, because those are the only ones that are going to breed. And this is similar to what we've seen in African painted dogs, where it's a cooperative breeding group. So one, the one group breeds, the dominant group breeds, and then everybody else cooperates among it. A pack size is going to depend on the, on the subspecies and where they're located. But in general, a dole pack will have five to 12 members. But there has been records of up to what they call a super group of up to 30 or 40 animals at a time. In general, it's about five to 12. And quite often, these groups are skewed to mostly male. Because once the female doles mature to be about at about three years of age, when they start to reach sexual maturity, they will go off on their own to find a new pack, but the males will stay in. And so the size and the sex ratio of the doles family group will basically depend on the age of the individuals and, of course, where they live. So, but definitely, definitely a strong social canid. They they love mm-hmm. to be in packs. That's that's how they uh, survive and navigate. And Chris, I was super excited. You know me. I'm a behavior nerd. I make my mm-hmm. students create ethograms, do behavioral studies, analyze the data, make Excel graphs, talk about, dis- discuss the data that they found. Uh, but I found a cool paper in the journal Mammalogy called A Whistle in the Woods, an Ethogram and Activity Budget for the Dole in Central India by Gascati and colleagues. And this was out of the Wildlife Institute of India. Mm-hmm. And what the authors did is in, the, in a, the tiger reserve called the Tadoba and Hari in central India, researchers collected photographs, personal videos, and a whole set out a whole bunch of camera traps and analyzed data for several hours and created an ethogram. And an ethogram is basically a list of behaviors that have been observed, anything from feeding to social behaviors to resting, describing all the behaviors and what it looks like for that animal. Because obviously a feeding behavior between a horse and a doll is going to look much different, right? And social behaviors as well, whether they're, they're affiliative or loving social interactions with members of the pack or aggressive ones with other pack members or fighting over dominance and things like that. And so an ethogram is very specific and unique to the individual species it's being studied. And with all this awesome footage these researchers got, they were able to not only develop an outstanding, I give them a round of applause, uh, ethogram, but through the list of behaviors that they recorded, they then could calculate the frequency of like how often the doles did this or did that. What the researchers ended up finding is adults spend a lot of time locomoting, moving around, mm-hmm. resting, and then less time, about 7% or so, with social behavior, a little bit less with feeding behavior, scent marking at about 4%, and then just other random behaviors. 
But what was super cool is I loved reading all the descriptions because yes, I am a nerd. And when they were describing some of the social behaviors with with the dolls, it was a lot of it was very familiar to me because once again, my own dog Rainbow and all of her friends, but they had snarl, submissive, sniff dog, solicit play, body slam. Rainbow, my girl yes. is the queen of a body slam. Mm-hmm. She's like a lab mix, but she only weighs about 62 pounds. And she can, one of the dogs, Rocky, one of her best friends in the neighborhood, he's like this big pit bull mix. He weighs like, I think we, my neighbor and I weighed him. Hi, Jill, if you're listening. And I think he was like 76 or 80 pounds, basically enough where I'm like, Jill, I can't lift him up on the scale anymore to you. <laughs> he's a big boy. <laughs> but Rainbow will just, just take him downtown. I mean, it's hilarious. And so, but these researchers describe this behavior as like body slam, like throwing self um, at another con specific in a non-aggressive manner with a wagging tail and an open mouth. And so I just love these descriptions. And uh, so I found that super helpful in learning more about the dull behavior. And then it comes to this behavior for the dolls called scent marking. And I don't know if you came across it, Chris, when you were doing research about doles, but they do some silly scent mark marking behaviors. What? Yeah. Okay. So this is, it's so funny. Behavior is such your jam. It's so. I know. I'm all like cheesy right now. I know you are. I love it when you talk about the time budgets and everything, because you taught me how to do that back in the day. So thank you for that. You got me excited about animal behavior and how to do it and how to measure it. But this scent marking they are it's hilarious it's hilarious yes yes and so i uh, have to give the authors of this paper a huge shout out because a lot of these behaviors were already known but during this research project the authors actually observed two unique scent marking behaviors so one was called the hind bounce love that name Mm -hmm. and that's basically where the dole is in a sitting position and then will bounce up and down quickly with its butt. And researchers aren't entirely sure, but they think that this behavior is to help deposit um, anal gland secretions into the substrate around. And then the second behavior they identified is called the hind scrub. And this we've all, if you're a pet owner, you've probably even unfortunately seen this in your cat or your dog, but this is that scooting behavior. Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. the dog will drag its bum across the like in my house the carpet and then there's like a little brown a little <laughs> yeah, brown streak. Thanks. Yes. Yes. It was actually our cat Phoenix, bless her heart. So yes, the researchers in this paper were calling that behavior the hind scrub, and they had not yet observed it on um, in in doles before. So I thought that was really cool. I mean, and it, that's the first time it's been recorded in in 2016, right? So like. I mean, these dogs have been around for 2 million years, right? And we're just mm-hmm, now still mm-hmm. learning things about them. But some of these other scent marking behaviors, I mean, the doles are very, very dedicated to get their their anal glands and their other glands, the scents, the aromas, and the pheromones into the air because they have the best one, which is the scent marking handstand urination. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny. And what they do is they, uh, the dole will stand on their front legs, just their front legs, with both of their hind legs off the ground in what looks like a handstand position. And their back legs are suspended in the air, and they will uh, spray or mark urine. 
So funny. Now, researchers, once again, are like, why do they do this? Besides, we want, yeah, okay, yeah, you're going to get a little bit of scent around, but it's complicated and it doesn't look comfortable. Uh, So researchers think that, yes, it does help them scent mark, but they think it might provide actual visual cues to other doles as well. So, yeah, it's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Now, Mm -hmm. Chris, I got an A++ on my quiz with the raccoon dog. All right. Quiz time for you, my friend. This is not the first time we have seen handstand urination on this podcast. Can you think of one other creature that does this? The only thing I can, I I just, in my head is a skunk on their front feet. But I don't know if it's urinating. I think they were getting to spray and we didn't do that skunk. We were going to at some point, right? The striped skunk. Mm -hmm. So I don't have that on my list. No, uh, it's they don't pee that way though. They 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 yeah. they spray that way. I need hints. Come on, I get. I you know. Hints. Um, I Charades, see. Um, whatever. Okay. Uh, it's what? definitely in that. It's definitely in that family. Okay, it's a dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and the bush dogs didn't. Did yes. They? Yes. Okay, it was a bush yes, dogs. Okay. Yes, okay. Yes, okay. Yes. I was like, how am I gonna do bush? Like, try to make a tree or something. Okay. So bush um, dogs. Thanks for the yes. howl. Yes. Okay. Yes, but a bush dog. Uh, although it's interesting with the bush dogs, it's only the females do the behavior and also wild dogs, their closest relative, which close by close. I mean, yeah, somewhat a couple million years, but yeah. Mm -hmm. And then another one we covered, which is hilarious is the pandas. The male pandas Mm -hmm. will do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, that was a fun episode. And then one we have not covered, uh, the dwarf mongoose. Okay. Okay. So yes. uh, Add some to the list. Mm-hmm. But a very, very unique way to uh, to to spread the stink all over the sweet, sweet stink. So super fun. I actually even have a picture of a dole doing this behavior on my on my show notes because I just love them so much mm-hmm, and I love mm-hmm. looking at them and they make me laugh. The whole goal of the research project, of course, is to classify these behaviors, learn more about where they live, how they live in order to help conserve them. Uh, because where the doles live in the Tabato and Hari Tiger Reserve is a really important uh, biodiverse region, contains over 41 species of mammals, more than 200 birds, 100 plus butterflies, 30 reptiles. And so if they can not only conserve the dole as an umbrella species, there's a lot of, a lot of other diverse life forms that would benefit from keeping an eye on this area and making sure it stays preserved and that there's not poachers in there and that the doles are living healthy in the wild. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We started with the whistling. So what's the purpose of some of these? How do they communicate? It does, it's much different than other canids. Yeah. Right. Well, the wolves, they don't howl, right? Mm-hmm. Or bark. So definitely different than my my watchdog, Rainbow, who you probably have to already edit 10 minutes of this podcast with her. <laughs> yeah. Barking. We get armadillos, like possums that'll go past our windows at nighttime, and she is, she is on it. She is protecting us from all things. But yes, doles use a variety of sounds to communicate, and so they they're known as the whistling dog because they make that some call it like an eerie shrill whistle to communicate with each other, especially when hunting and working together in cooperation. But other noises include clucks, high pitched screams. Muse, and it should be known this cluck. The cluck actually sounds like a chicken. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, lots of vocalizations, and they're unique. 
So the whistling sound of the dole, for instance, is so personalized that it can actually be used to identify an individual. So when you're talking about AI and stuff like that with the whales, it, I, I, obviously I don't think they're using it on doles at this point in time, but it is very unique to the individual and maybe potentially could be used for something like that. Mm-hmm. And of course, the body language of the dole communicates a lot, just like your dog. I mean, you're watching those Instagram uh, clips where the dog is kind of just half rolling their eye, but it's still ho- so hilarious because you know what the dog is feeling, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think doles are very similar, but they're, of course, communicating to each other uh, with either friendly greetings uh, as far as um, changing the way that they hold their lips and the changing the position of their tails and their ears. A little subtlety in their eyes, little subtleties like that can communicate to the other dole that, oh, okay, you want to play or, oh, oh, wait, you don't want to play or, oh, it's my time to eat. Oh, it is not my time to eat. So uh, they're 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 very sensitive as far as looking to each other of of what the other one is saying and then back and forth. So in that instance, I'm definitely similar to probably our domestic dogs as well. Um, the communication is super, super important for the doles pack to stay cohesive. And Chris, too, I just want to clarify a little bit. The journal mammalogy paper that did the ethogram they, of course, classified vocalizations as well. And they have the whistle on there, a yelp, a screech. They have a chuckle. So that's kind of a fun one. Mm-hmm. And they actually did classify a bark. So these researchers said that it was not heard very frequently and only when alarmed. But it was reminiscent of a typical dog bark. So that's why we got to keep doing the research because they, who knows, maybe if we keep studying them, they might howl. Just kidding. They, I don't yeah. we, <laughs> no. we don't find that out, but they no, whistle. No, no. So they're really yeah. cool with that. Yeah. yeah. Now that leads us into, like you said, they, they have a lot more uh, nipples and stuff for, for more pups. So repro, even though their numbers are so low, like, oh. I know. So Does is there a good story in here that they can breed quickly? Well, yes and no, Chris. I mean, they definitely can have up to 12 pups. But honestly, the data suggests that only like three to four are common. And then actually a little bit different than other canid species, the dole pups will reach maturity at about three years of age. So a female will stay with her family until she's about three and then head off to live with another pack. And if you think about it, too, there's these packs of doles that are like five to 12 animals. But there, there's only that one monogamous breeding pair. Mm-hmm. All the other females in there are, are, are not having pups. So, I mean, it's, it's, it probably is going to be tough to get their numbers up since not, it's not like every female in, of age will be breeding, mm-hmm. if that mm-hmm. makes sense, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when a, when a female does rise to become the dominant breeding female in the pack, the breeding season for doles, depending on which subspecies it is, but it's in general going to be from November, December. And there's usually a couple weeks of courting behaviors and a couple weeks of breeding. And when the female dole does become pregnant, her gestation is about 60 to 62 days. And the doles do like to construct dens. So a nice little nesting bed near either some streams or hidden in the rocks, a place to basically camouflage the pups. And so when the dole pups are born, they'll stay in that den until they're about three or four months old. 
And so during that whole time, when they're about three weeks old, the dole pup can actually start having meat. And so other pack members, remember they have this cooperative breeding style. So other pack members, male and female, will basically bring food to the nursing mother and, of course, to the pups. And they'll do this by regurgitating contents of their stomach after a hunt to help feed the mom and her litter. Now, after three or four months old, when the pups are ready to emerge from the den, they'll join the pack. And this is where I've seen in some of the videos, oh my gosh, these just the cutest behaviors of the mm -hmm. pups rolling around in the tall grasses and just, just adorable. But they're, st they're still little and they're still um, very dependent on their family. In fact, the pups won't actually learn to hunt or like join out on, a, on one of these strategic cooperative hunting uh, trips until they're about seven months old. So there's a, lo a lot of care put into them, not only, of course, by the mother, but by all the other members of the pack with this cooperative breeding style. So it's just, it's really, really fascinating. And, you know, I, I'd love to know more about the, the estrus and the other females. If it's, it must, it must be best, I would imagine, mm -hmm. of the subordinate females. But once again, the females don't really reach sexual maturity until they're like three. And so I think when that happens, that's when it's like, okay, you need to go, you need to go live somewhere else. But similarly for the males, I, I, I mean, yeah. The subordinate males in the pack aren't breeding, right? So, you know, is their testosterone suppressed? It's just that all of that is just very fascinating to me when there's only like a dominant breeding pair and everybody works together. And mm -hmm. evolutionarily speaking, there's great strategy behind it, right? Because the pups are so well taken care of. Um, and it does help, of course, the dominant pair survive and thrive. But yeah, it's just, I, like I said, I, 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 it's one of these podcasts where I think I have a lot of answers for the uh, for everyone listening but deep in my heart i actually have more questions yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like if i when i was reading that paper about the ethogram and just and, and, and understanding all the dynamics of how the researchers collected the data and the, the, the videos that they reviewed and the camera traps and it was one of those times that i i've had several of these in this podcast where i'm like i want to be out there in the field doing that that is so cool yeah no it is it is i mean they Again, endangered, yeah, you know, 2,200 breeding population. I mean, so maybe 4,000 out in the wild, habitat loss, habitat degradation. They can get diseases from dogs. They don't breed, but they can spread diseases. Uh, lots of stuff working against them. But someone out there fighting for them? Oh, absolutely. Yes. I have to give a huge shout out to the Wildlife Conservation Society in India. So this is a chapter that's focused just on endangered species in India, and they can be found at www.india.wcs.org. And the Wildlife Conservation Society in India is focusing on the Dole Project. What the Dole Project does is conduct conservation research studies across multiple scales using the field, the lab, and all these awesome innovative approaches including including using dogs to help identify the scat of doles, mm -hmm. somewhat similar to what we saw yeah. with the bush dogs. Yeah. And, and maybe, maybe AI, I don't know. Hopefully, maybe someday they'll have some AI in there as well. But the team is just doing a lot with not only learning more about 
dolls, where they live, how they live, uh, keeping track of them, but also working with um, local people and trying to reduce the uh, human dole interaction and conflict that can sometimes happen between ranchers. And then, of course, learning more, too, about domestic dogs because they can carry diseases to doles and trying to help reduce that. So that's a huge problem. So the Dole Project has a lot of different ambitious goals that they are working on. And I highly recommend you go to their page. They have a donate button. You can also follow them on social media as well. As I mentioned earlier, I was so just moved learning about doles this past week and just reached out to uh, a dole uh, expert from the Wildlife Conservation Society to see if I can get him on the podcast. So fingers crossed for that. We'll see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so check out the Wildlife Conservation Society in India uh, and uh, give them a follow and a like. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for all the work they do. Just the conservation tip of the week, get your dogs spayed or neutered. We did it with the cats. Do it with your yes, dogs. Yes, for sure. We have too many uh, in the world, plenty. If you need to adopt, go to your local shelter, wherever you are. Oh my gosh, are. and it's spring here yeah. in North America. And so, I, of course, I follow a bazillion rescue, uh, local rescue mm -hmm. uh, places uh, in Florida. And there's it's just puppy after puppy yeah. after puppy. Yeah, there's tons of them, tons of them. So anyways, wonderful species, Angie. I don't yes. know where we're going next, but uh, <laughs> we will talk about it. We have some good suggestions from our Patreon uh, subscribers to so check that out. Also follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram. Thank you so much for caring about doles, caring about these animals, and for listening to the All Creatures Podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, everyone. Stay curious. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.